So today I get the, uh, I feel like sometimes I'm using some terminology like Dan is, I'm batting cleanup, you know, it seems like I get the, the opportunity to close some of these sermon series that we're in, and uh, that's what I'm going to get to do today. Uh, today we're going to wrap up a three-week series uh, that's all about the kingdom of God. Um, you know, going through, Pastor started this sermon series on Palm Sunday, and we looked at uh, uh, how that affected the kingdom and how, uh, how as, as Dan was sharing this morning as the triumphal entry, how, how the people had a kind of a skewed view of what Jesus was actually doing. You know, they were expecting a physical kingdom um, and expecting a, a political kingdom, and Jesus uh, didn't provide that right away. He will someday, but not right away. But anyhow, um, and, and one of Pastor's big points here was that, you know, we have to recognize who the king is. We have to recognize his authority. And then, of course, last week, uh, with Easter and the resurrection, uh, we looked at the uh, the importance of that resurrection, how that's the the promise and the power that the kingdom holds, not only for Christ, but for us. And then uh, today, uh, I get to look at, uh, it's, it's a doctrine that, that kind of gets overlooked at sometimes. We're going to look at the ascension of Jesus Christ today and how important that is. You know, we, we talk a lot about the, the death and the burial and the resurrection, uh, but then the ascension, sometimes we just kind of, we just kind of gloss over. But, um, as hopefully I can convey to us today out of this passage that, uh, that there's some very, very important, in fact, crucial elements to the ascension that we need to take to heart, that we need to let sink in uh, to our belief, to our theology, uh, because it's, it's paramount for where we stand as, as Christians. Um, so today we want to read from, uh, read from the book of Acts. We're going to read through um, from verses 1 through 11. Um, as you know, the, uh, um, or as many of you might know, Acts is written by Luke, you know, the, the Gospel of Luke, and uh, then Acts is kind of like the second volume. So uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read this, and then we're going we're gonna to get into it here. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And, when, and while they were gazing into heaven and as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Now you said this is, uh, there's some key words. Um, when, we're reading, when we're reading scripture, a lot of times the key words you need to look at are small words or words that uh, quite often we just read right over. One of the very first words that we need to pay attention to here is in verse 1 where Luke says, began. Okay. Where he says, uh, I have dealt with 
all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. That refers back to the first book, the Luke, the gospel. He began to do it there. Well, we know that Jesus is ascending. You know, it says it right here, but he began to teach in Luke. He began to do his ministry in Luke. He continues it in Acts. It's just a little different method of operation. So um, keep that in mind. And he began. That's, that's very uh, uh, crucial to this message and, and to our understanding of the ascension. Also that, uh, that he was talking about the kingdom. When Jesus first came on scene in the Gospels, the first thing he said was, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? What did he do after the resurrection? It says right here that Luke, Luke writes that he spent 40 days after the resurrection talking about what? The kingdom of God. You know, so this is, this is paramount for us to understand that this was Jesus, his focus was the kingdom. And as he's talking about the kingdom of God, the, the, uh, the disciples are getting excited about this. They want to see this kingdom because they know what it means. They have this understanding. They know partially what it means. Like, uh, like Dan was sharing this morning, and like we know from uh, uh, the triumphal entry, a lot of times we have this, this misunderstanding of what the kingdom is actually is. They're excited to see this kingdom, just like we want to see this, uh, this new physical kingdom where we don't have to deal with uh, uh, the same things that they're dealing with. Uh, crazy politics, you know, that would be nice to have that go away. Uh, the infighting among the religious groups that were in, uh, in Jerusalem at that time. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's Roman oppression. I mean, that's a huge thing to think about. That's what is constantly on them. Everywhere they go, they're being scrutinized by the Romans and, and told what they can do and what they can't do, and they're uh, being taxed uh, uh, pretty unfairly in a lot of situations. And it's all due to this Roman oppression. As the, the, uh, uh, when Jesus enters in this new physical kingdom, they're not going to have to deal with that. So that's something that they're looking forward to. And we get an idea of this excitement and their expectancy in verse 6 when they say, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? It's like they're, are you going to do it now? Are you going to do it now? And another key word that we need to pay attention to here is that so, right at the beginning of that verse. You got so or that therefore, that's that follows verse 5. And this is why the, the disciples were so excited. They say, uh, uh, Jesus in verse 5, Verse 5 says, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they asked. See, the, uh, the disciples, they understood what, uh, uh, they understood from the Old Testament scriptures. They quite often, where God talks about uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit, he's complementing that with the coming of the new kingdom, of the restored Israel. The two go hand in hand. There's several passages. There's Isaiah, there's Ezekiel, there's Joel. There's uh, a lot of these Old Testament passages. They put the two hand in hand. So when Jesus says, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, they start thinking, all right, that means the kingdom's coming at this time as well. And what's really cool about this, uh, well, one of these verses I want to share with you, Isaiah 32, 15 through 18. This, this, maybe this is one of the verses that, the, or the scriptures that, that came back to the disciples' mind. It says, Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. Many people, or my people, will abide in a peaceful habitation, secure dwellings, and quiet resting places. 
Does that sound good to anybody? Yeah, I mean, that should sound good to all of us, to dwell in peace and quiet and security. This is something that the disciples didn't experience. This is something quite often we don't experience. You know, we do more than most of the world, but still, we don't have this peace and security that we long for. That's what happens at the coming of the kingdom. That's what the disciples are so excited about. And I gotta, you got to love the way Jesus answers this question. He says, so when they had come together and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the seasons or the, the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I don't know about you guys, but when I first read that, I don't get it. They ask Jesus a poignant question. And he says, will you at this time restore the kingdom? And he says, it's not for you to know. It's none of your business. But I'm going to give you power to do a job. And as we read down farther, that's it. That's the last thing he says. Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom of God at this time? Not for you to know. I'm going to give you a job to do. Peace out. See ya. What? <laughs> I can picture the disciples are asking one another, is he speaking in parables again? What's he doing? What's going on here? They don't quite get it. But as we go through this, we're, we're going to see exactly what this command means. It says, I love how he answers this because he says, you will receive power. You will be my witnesses. He doesn't leave him much of an option. He says, you will. And then he ascends to heaven. So the disciples like us, you know, they have this idea, but they're not seeing the whole picture. We can get a clear view of the picture just as the disciples did as we like read through the book of Acts. We can see what, they was, what was taking place there. Um, so as we think about this, the ascension of Jesus, this is at the point where he's taken up. It means a lot of things for us. Um, I can't begin to touch them all. You guys know me. I'm not that long-winded of a preacher. And if we were to cover all those, then even I would be here for a couple of days. But I am going to point out two or three today um, that hopefully we can grasp hold of. Ones that I think are very pertinent to, uh, to this passage of Scripture and ones that are pertinent to us as we continue to focus on the kingdom of God. One of the analogies that I can think of is, has uh, anybody in here ever built a house? Okay. I, see, I see a few people raising hands. Um, when you build a house, uh, I'm assuming, I have not done it, um, but I'm assuming that you go out and you look at the property and you kind of get an idea in your head and you see the way things, you have an idea of the way things should be in your mind and, uh, and then you leave that property. You go back and you go to work. You go to work by phone. You go to work by computer. You go to work by delegating. You know, saying you as the owner are also the general contractor. You're not on that property, but yet you're empowering many other people. You have the authority as the owner, right? You have the authority and you have the power. You're equipping others to start doing the work for you, to start making your home ready for you to take possession of it. That's the analogy I think of when I think of Jesus ascending to heaven. Um, it's not, a, not 100%, but that's, that's kind of the analogy that we can look, that this is all Jesus. But he, uh, he came here, he gave us instruction, now he's leaving and he's empowered us to, kinda, to, to get things moving, to get things set up for his kingdom. So as we go through this, again, uh, kind of keep in mind, but those are two points that I definitely want to look at. is One, the authority of Jesus, the authority that he has in the kingdom, and the empowerment. 
are two things that we can see in this passage. So talking about the kingdom, every kingdom has what? A king. Absolutely. If you don't have a kingdom, or if you don't have a king, you don't have a kingdom. You have to have that, that sovereign, that, that person in rule. The ascension of Jesus is what shows his authority. Okay? That's what's, as we, as the disciples sat there and he watched him go up, they weren't getting it then, but they did a little bit later, that that shows the authority of Jesus. It proves that his sacrifice was accepted by the Father, not only through the resurrection, but also through the ascension, that he was taken back into heaven that he is uh, uh, seated at the right hand. Hebrews 10.12 says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. This right hand, that's a position of authority. That's what's talking about through the Old Testament. One of the most old, quoted Old Testament psalms is Psalms 110.1. It says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your, your footstool. This shows how by Jesus ascending back to heaven, that God has approved what he's done, that he's taken him and placed him on the throne, that he is now the ruling and reigning king. What confidence is that to us? I mean, think about that. We just got done talking about the resurrection of Christ. We got done talking about the, the, uh, the sacrifice that he made for us. Okay, Now to have that validated, to be vindicated by God, to say that, yes, this sacrifice was sufficient. You can be... You come back to heaven. Come back and be placed on the throne. One of those promises, you know, with those, that confidence we have, think about all the promises that Jesus made to us about where he's going, what he's doing, um, that he went ahead of us to prepare a place for us. All throughout the New Testament, we see uh, uh, countless scriptures. I don't say countless, but many scriptures that, uh, that talk about Jesus at this position of the right hand of the Father and what that means for us. Ephesians 1, uh, 20 through 22, it says, The power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. All things, you know, how many times has pastor stood up here, Dan, what's all mean? All. all. All things are his. All things are under his feet. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Think about that. Our servant, King, has been exalted to the right hand of God the Father. He has been exalted. He has been above every other name. He made this sacrifice. He made this humble sacrifice that is so contradictory to what we think of as a king. But it proves it. It validates it. He made the sacrifice. When he makes the, the statement that we should love one another as he had loved us, and then we can witness his exaltation and the ascension, what confidence does that give as we sacrifice for others, as we follow his, uh, his lead? This right hand of the Father, this is something I want to touch on a, bit, a little bit later, but this is where he intercedes our behalf. He's in a position of authority to intercede for us. He's there. He paid our sin debt, and now he's there interceding for us, mediating the new covenant. 
There aren't many accounts of the ascension within Scripture, but the other, the other one that I want to point to is in Luke. Um, and this is, I think, where, what we need to grasp. In Luke uh, 24, 52, it says, And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. This takes place right after the ascension. So we have one account of the ascension in Acts by Luke and another account in Luke. And they're, they're the same but different. Where this happens, this joy would have fall right after verse 11, uh, but before they got back to Jerusalem, they returned with joy. Why did they return with joy? It's because they witnessed this ascension. They witnessed where Christ is going to the right hand of the Father. They witnessed the king being rightfully placed on the throne, their king. It's great. Does this, I'm hoping that this, uh, this creates great joy in our hearts as we think about this. That our sovereign king, the one that made us all the promises, is the one in authority. We stand here and we talk about, uh, you know, through, all through the coronavirus pandemic, and we're uncertain. We say, but Jesus is on the throne. Do we believe that in our hearts? Do we trust that? Does that give us great joy, or is that just something we say to kind of get us through the moment? Or does it drop to our hearts that he is on the throne? The one who came and lived a sinless life, atoned for our sins, has been exalted. By his ascension, the king is taking the throne. The next point I want to point out is the empowerment. Going back to our passage here, it says uh, in verse 5, it says that uh, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is that empowerment we have. As we talk about you know, building a house and and. I'm the general contractor and the owner, and I'm calling and I'm telling people, okay, I need the driveway put in today, and it needs to go this route, and I need the utilities hooked up, and I need the foundation dug. That's all through somebody else's authority. That's all through the owner's authority. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He empowers us. And this, is, this had to take place. In John 16, 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come. But if I go, I will send them to you. It's to our advantage. Now, picture yourself as the disciples. Is it to your advantage that the king goes away? Do you feel that right off the get-go? When the guy that you followed for three years and you saw all these things take place and, and you saw him raised from the dead, and in the back of your mind you're thinking, wait, is it to our advantage that he goes away? Our leader? But it is to our advantage. We don't... We don't see this right away, but I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller, and he put it so perfectly. The ascension of Jesus is not the absence of Jesus. It was an absence for 10 days. Between this time and Pentecost, it was an absence. But since then, the ascension of Jesus is the increased presence of Jesus, not the absence of Jesus. It's because of the Holy Spirit that He sends to live in each one of us as believers. See, just as Luke records the beginning of Jesus' ministry through the book of Luke, he also is recording the continuation of it in the book of Acts. This is huge for us to know because at the day of Pentecost, we entered what we call the church age. We're still in that church age. Just as the Holy Spirit, you know, many of you guys read through the book of Acts with us in the, the discipleship reading plan. As we read through that book and we see all that the Holy Spirit was doing, all that he was uh, accomplishing, through the different people, he's still doing that same thing today. He works in each and every one of us differently. 
but he does work to continue the same ministry that Jesus started. It's all about the kingdom of God. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus began to teach while he was on the earth, but continues through the Holy Spirit. Just as we talked about, you know, when I stand here and I teach, I hope that the Holy Spirit is working in somebody and they're pulling it in. As I study this, as I learn from my own teaching, I know that that's him teaching and leading me into the truth. Just as you share the good news with somebody else and they're learning truths about Scripture or about Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit working in them as well. It's through this Holy Spirit that Jesus has that omnipresence that we talk about, that we enjoy, that we, uh, that we take for granted sometimes, but the fact that He never leaves us nor forsakes us, that's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Before the ascension, before He sent the Holy Spirit, He was limited. He was one person, physical time, physical space. It's through the ascension that Jesus can send the Holy Spirit and take on that omniscience. It's through the Holy Spirit that equips the church to build itself up. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4, 7, I love this. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Like I said, as we look into the book of Acts alone, we go all the way through that, and we can see that Peter was powerfully equipped to preach by the Holy Spirit. We look at Paul, who wrote 13 books of the New Testament, was powerfully equipped to write. Think about the other people in there, Stephen and Philip, who were filled with the Holy Spirit and equipped to serve. When you look at our neighbors, look at the person right next to you. If they're a believer in Christ, they're equipped to do something for the church. That's all by the power of the Holy Spirit, which goes back to the ascension of Jesus Christ. This verse is clear that every one of us in here has a gift that, that the Holy Spirit has equipped us with, that Jesus has given us with, because He's on the throne, because He has the authority to do that. This is only possible because of the extent of the ascension that we can have the Holy Spirit. So as we think about this, what does this mean for the kingdom of God? Even though Jesus is not physically here, just like we always say, just like we always pray, He is on the throne. He is actively ruling and reigning and working all things to the glory. That's the only way. When we look at Romans 8.28, and we see that He works all things to the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, it's only because He ascended. It's the only possible way He can do that. If we can believe that, if we can claim that verse, then this ascension should really speak to our hearts as far as what this means for us. And that ascension proves that He has the authority. He's still actively working in the kingdom. He empowers us as His representatives to bring about the kingdom. Even though the physical kingdom may be far off, we don't know. It may be here this afternoon. It may be coming tomorrow morning. We don't know. But that'll be a great day when it comes. But even though it's far off, we can still have that peace in knowing that eventually it is coming. And then if we've given our hearts to Christ, if we trusted in Him, that we're going to be part of that. That's why we pray, Lord, Your kingdom come. Lord, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We know that His perfect will is done in heaven, and that's what we long for here. That's why we pray for it. That's why at the end of the book of Revelation, God says, Come, Lord Jesus. 
Let that start in our hearts. Let us pray for that, that, that come, Lord Jesus. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. One of the biggest things that, uh, that I was thinking about that I think I have to mention here is this intercession that Jesus makes for us because he has ascended. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans 8.34. If not, I think it will come up on the screen here. Um, who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is inter Who indeed is interceding for us? We know God to be holy and righteous and just, and He cannot be in the presence of sin. His very character says that sin must be punished. Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us right now. Without that intercession, we don't have a hope. Without that intercession, the sin in our hearts keeps us separated from God. But Jesus paid that penalty once for all, and He is there at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Is that where your trust is at? That's the ascension that provided that for us. I invite you today that if you have not made that decision, if you have not trusted in that intercession that Christ makes on our behalf to put your hope there, to, to, to accept that truth, because that's, that's what this is all about. Without Jesus ascending to the throne, we have to look at all of this as a package deal. The death, the burial, the resurrection, the virgin birth, and the ascension. That's why the, the early church fathers sought it necessary, thought it necessary to put it in many of the creeds. Because this is a paramount doctrine for us to understand, to wrap our minds around, that the ascension of Christ is more than just He went up on a cloud. It's when he went back to His rightful place. He went back to the place where He intercedes on our behalf, where He rules and governs, and where from which He promises to come back, return, and judge the living and the dead, and to bring in that kingdom that the disciples were looking for, that we're longing for as well. So, uh, as we uh, depart here today, Lord, I, I, um, uh, I want to guys have you join me in prayer. Um, but as you go through the week, just kind of keep that in mind. You know, as we think about the, re the resurrection, we celebrate that. Celebrate the ascension as well. Celebrate the fact that, that because of the ascension, we have a loving, just king on the throne. Father, we, we thank you uh, for your word. God, we thank you that, uh, uh, that you are who you are. God, I pray that the, uh, the words from, from my mouth and from your, more importantly, your Lord, from your word, uh, make an impact in, in our lives, Lord, that we can see the glory of Jesus Christ on the throne, that we can see the glory of God, that we can see uh, just what that means, that our loving Savior is exalted on high. God, let that be a peace in our hearts. Let that be a confidence and a joy as we go through our lives that, uh, that no matter what happens, no matter what this world throws at us, we know that because of Jesus Christ on the throne and because of His promise of love for us, that we can have peace, that we can know the truth of who You are. God, let, the, let Your Word empower us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.